So we'll be looking at two different passages. The first one is from Exodus, uh, verses, uh, chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And even as we enter this time, um, allow us to rest and to learn um, and to be aware of not that this is just a command. This is not something you want from us, Lord, but something you want for us. And Father, allow us to know that today and be with Brandon as he brings the word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We have been in a series that we're calling Law and Gospel, and we're journeying uh, together through the Ten Commandments, and we're discovering how they relate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, the first four commandments are all about our relationship with God, kind of a, a vertical relationship, and the last Six commandments are kind of the horizontal relationship that we have uh, with our neighbor. And this morning, we're getting to the end of the, the kind of vertical ones uh, with the fourth commandment. And it, it occurs to me that the fourth commandment, this command that we observe and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, it occurs to me that this commandment is perhaps the most neglected one by Christians. Now, we do come to church uh, most of the time. And uh, by and large, though, don't we, we feel a certain amount of freedom to just kind of schedule work or recreation or other activities for Sunday afternoons, and we don't really pay too much regard to whether or not that would be appropriate for the Sabbath day. And and this is a little bit troubling because when God gave the law to Moses, he'd given him the Ten Commandments, he gave him all the rest of the law, and when he was all done, kind of giving all that information, he said to Moses, "I, I want you to emphasize this one particular one. This is what he said in Exodus 31. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you and throughout your generations that you may know that I, 
the Lord sanctify you. And then he goes on to assign the death penalty to anyone who breaks it. Now, I don't bring this up just to make us all kind of feel bad. And, and I am preaching, and I am preaching to myself here. Uh, I struggle with this as much as anyone. But this commandment is particularly important to God. And so it should be particularly important to us as well. Now, the good news is that the Sabbath was given to us to be a blessing, not a burden. You know, Jesus said once that the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And as with all of the law, Jesus has fulfilled it perfectly on our behalf. And he has already paid that death penalty for us, hasn't he? So within the freedom of that, within the freedom of the work that Christ has done, let's examine this commandment and, and see the beauty of it and hopefully come to embrace it in a new way as the blessing God intends it to be. Now, our big idea for today is that we can only find our rest in the work of Jesus Christ. See, the, the word Sabbath means rest. But this commandment is so much more than just like some good advice, like, hey, you're working too hard, you should take some time off. That, that's good advice, but that's not what this commandment is about. This isn't the self-care commandment. This, this commandment gets at the very core, the very heart of who we are and what we were designed to do. And it connects us with the source of power for us to accomplish that purpose. So this morning, I want to look at the why. I want to look at why is this commandment so important to God. And, and then we're going to examine the rule itself and just kind of see what, uh, what is required of us. And then we'll spend just a few moments kind of talking about how we might Sabbath well. So why is Sabbath so important to God? Sabbath rest is a crucial part of God's plan for us. Uh, he desires for us to have this regular rhythm of work and then rest. And through that, he desires to partner with us in accomplishing his divine work. And there's two ways that we partner with God in his divine work. And the first is this. We partner with God in the work of his creation. Now, it's always been God's intention that the pinnacle of his creation, that's us, human beings, were the only part of creation that was made in God's image. It's always been his intention that we would partner with him in his work. Even before sin entered the world, God had given people work to do. Work is not a curse that came after we sinned. Work was a part of what we were designed for. We see in Genesis 1, uh, God gave uh, this instruction to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, God made us to be creative like he is creative. 
And the work that he has set in front of us is the work of creating a culture. And we do this through uh, procreation, right? We make little people, and then they grow up to be bigger people. And then we also do this through subduing the earth and exercising our dominion over the rest of creation. We build things and invent things and, and put processes into place. See, the plan was never for us to just live in the garden and take care of the garden forever with God. The plan always was that together with God, we would create something greater. And theologians refer to all this as the cultural mandate. And what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you and me? Well, uh, this is an important thing because what it means is whatever we do, that is a divine calling. It's, it's not just preachers or worship leaders who are doing God's work, but construction workers and lawyers and teachers and artists and students and servers and stay-at-home parents, government workers and healthcare workers, even politicians. We all contribute to our culture, and thus we are all partnered with God in his work, in his ongoing work of creation. This is what the Apostle Paul was writing about in Colossians uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So all work has dignity and all work has great value as we serve Jesus and we help to build his kingdom. But where does this kind of need for Sabbath come in? Well, I found it interesting to note that Sabbath was not instituted as a part of the Ten Commandments. That was not the first time that Sabbath came on the scene for God's people. In fact, it, it went back way before, way before, all the way back to creation. In Genesis 2, we see that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so, so the Sabbath was already there. It was the backdrop for the original sin, for the first sin. See, Adam and Eve, they had their work laid out in front of them, and their role was to, you know, raise a family and cultivate the garden, and, and they were tasked with building the very first culture by exercising their dominion over the rest of creation. What a massive undertaking that was. What a great responsibility they were given but God imposed a limit on their role. They were to trust in God. They were to know by faith that he was God. And they were to remember that ultimately it was God who was accomplishing the work. And their, the limit on their role was expressed to them in this way. God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, that knowledge 
belonged to God alone. That was God's business, not human business. That was God's role, not our role. Are you starting to see here, God had established with them this this rhythm of working, but resting in Him and who He was from the very beginning. God intended for us as human beings to know that we have limits and to know what they are and to honor them. And, and this mirrored himself as he demonstrated when he completed his creation of all things and rested on the seventh day. You know, God didn't do that because he was exhausted. He did it because that's his very nature. It wasn't a sign of his weakness or his need for restoration. It was a sign of his health. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which if you haven't read it, you should go get it this afternoon or or wait till Monday. He puts it this way. (laughs) At the heart of original sin is the refusal to accept God's rhythm for us. The essence of being in God's image is our ability, like God, to stop. We imitate God by stopping our work and resting. And if we can stop, for one day a week, we touch something deep within us as image bearers of God. Our human brain, our bodies, our spirits, and our emotions become wired by God for the rhythm of work and rest in Him. Scripture tells us that that Eve chose to eat that forbidden fruit when she saw that the the tree was uh, desired to make one wise. Satan tempted her by saying that if she ignored her limits and ate the fruit, then she would be like God, knowing good and evil. And isn't that just like us? We're all called to this divine uh, partnership with God's and his, in His work, but our tendency is to ignore our limits. We take on too much, and we're, we're constantly forgetting our place and thinking that we are the ones who are the ones in control. We are providing for ourselves. We are securing our own futures. We are making the world a better place for our children. We. This inevitably leads us to anxiety. Time and time again, we find that we just can't get it right. There's always some unforeseen event that messes things up. And there's always some unintended consequence that our plan did not and could not anticipate. And so we get burned out. Or we get paralyzed by fear. Or we just live with this kind of sense of impending doom hanging over our heads. 
the church, we can find rest in the work of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he taught us in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, starting in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, Jesus knows that we tend to get all caught up in our work, that we forget that we're doing the Lord's work, and and he knows that it causes us great anxiety. And what is his prescription? To seek first the kingdom of God. Before we get to work, take a moment to remember who provides for us. Take a moment to remember where our righteousness comes from. This is Sabbath. Now there's another way that we partner with God in His divine work, and that is that we partner with God in His work of redemption. See, in Exodus 20, we see that the reason the Sabbath exists is because uh, God had established this rhythm of work and rest when when he rested after creation. But in Deuteronomy 5, God gives us an entirely other reason of why we are commanded to observe the Sabbath. And that's because we are to remember his great work of redemption when he freed the slaves from Egypt. And in the New Testament, it becomes exceedingly clear that we are expected to partner with God in this work. In Romans 10, verses 13 through 15, uh, Paul says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asks, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? We have a role in this. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 20, he talks about uh, we're being given the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Believers, because we are being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, uh, we are all charged with the work of the Great Commission in addition to the cultural mandate. We all know the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It tells us to, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, we have a role to play in God's divine work of reconciliation, but just like with the cultural mandate, we stray away from our limits. We forget that only Jesus can provide forgiveness of sins, and we forget that only the Holy Spirit can take a dead heart and make it alive again, and we forget that only the Father knows who He has predestined for adoption as children of God. 
But we take all that responsibility and more for other people's salvation. We put it on our own shoulders and we forget that that's not our role. And so again, this leads us to a place of anxiety and despair. And even worse, it leads, it leads those people that we just care about so much, the people we're trying to redeem, it leads them to a place of anxiety and despair. And we find ourselves where it's like we're trying to drag these people and they're kicking and screaming and we're trying to drag them to the loving, open arms of Jesus. Nothing seems to work, right? Our arguments are not persuasive and our witty Facebook posts are not liked and our laws, well, they get overturned and only Christians go and see our cheesy movies, right? No, no matter how much we sugarcoat the truth of God, it's never palatable enough. And if we ever just go full force with the truth, well, man, it's like these people don't even have ears to hear it. And before we know it, we don't even want to tell people about Jesus, right? And we begin to believe that those those people that we care so deeply about, that they're never going to come to faith. And it's all our fault. And we think that we have failed. But church, we can find rest in the work of Jesus Christ. Listen to his words from Matthew 11, verses 27 through 30. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." See, Jesus is reminding us that he and the Father are responsible for the work of redemption. And yet he's still inviting us into it. He's still saying, I want you to do your part. We should take his yoke upon us. When we're yoked with Jesus side by side, we're not exceeding our limit. Our burden is lightened and we find rest. And, and this is why Sabbath is so important to God. It's how we learn from Him and find our rest so that we're not heavy laden as we partner with Him in His divine work. Because God desires to be in a deep and real relationship with us. But that relationship becomes strained when we don't communicate with Him often or when we're constantly trying to take his job, when we're always scrambling up into his chair, you know, the throne of the universe, and we sit there and we try to run things and we try to say, my way is better. Why do we do that? I think sometimes it's because of our pride. We've forgotten the warning of Romans 12 that tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I think sometimes it's because we don't trust God. 
We, we look around and we're like, I don't know about God's plan. I don't like how he's doing it. I, don't think, I think I'd much rather be in control. Well, a lot of times I think it's just because we're just working and working and working and we're not thinking at all. We're not, we're not paying any mind as to where we are and what we're doing. But for whatever reason, we climb up onto the throne the solution is always the same. We need to stop laboring in vain. We need to get some rest. And we need to remember who is God. And what we need is a Sabbath. So, what does it mean to Sabbath? Well, the fourth commandment requires us to set apart one entire day out of seven and keep it holy. Now, for Old Testament Israel, this was the seventh day, which was Saturday. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, he was resurrected on a Sunday, and the early church began the practice of uh, honoring the Sabbath on what they called the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Now, I, I don't think the specific day is as important as uh, developing the pattern of one entire day out of seven. And specifically, we're told to remember and observe the day. Now, it's not enough to simply remember. Last year, on my 26th wedding anniversary, I went the entire day. I didn't even so much as say happy anniversary to Alicia. And the next day, uh, she came to me, and she was tearful, and she was obviously hurt, and, and she said to me, she said, how could you forget our anniversary? But I comforted her, and I said, so, honey, I didn't forget. I remembered it. I'm just, I just chose not to observe it this year. Thank you for laughing. I was... <laughs> Because this story is totally not true. <laughs> we had a great anniversary last year. We always do. And it's, it's two days before Christmas, so you can't forget it. But I'm trying to illustrate a point here. It's not enough to simply say that it's the Lord's day and then treat it like any other day. The Sabbath day is a special day. It's a day where we demonstrate our love for God. And our time and our activity on that day should reflect that. See, the commandment is, it's not just about that one day, though. It's about all seven days. Jesus is not just Lord of the Sabbath, but he's Lord of our entire week. And part of the commandment is that we work. We get all our work done in six days. See, God desires for us to be good stewards of the time that he has given us to accomplish our earthly calling. And I, I'm not saying that we should never take a day off except for the Sabbath. But what I am saying is that we need to be mindful, like we're told in Ephesians 5, to make best use of our time. Ordering our time so that we can take a Sabbath is is uh, it's sometimes easy and it's sometimes challenging. For some of us, it's, it's just a matter of 
kind of organizing our life and, and putting things in the right order and not procrastinating all week long so that when we get to Sunday, there, there's just no time left. We have to do everything because we waited too long. Some of us, well, we just have too many commitments. Some of us, it's a matter of prioritizing. We need to, we need to make the priority of being obedient to God's word higher than some of the other good things that we put in our schedule. But for some of us, it's just not that easy. For some of us, it really will take a, a step of faith, a leap of faith, a putting of our trust in God, trusting that when Jesus said that if we seek first the kingdom of God, that God will provide for us, putting our trust that, that those words are true. I have a, I have a good friend. He has his own business, and, and he found that uh, he was keeping his business open six days a week to kind of accommodate uh, his clients. And th this was affecting his marriage, and it was affecting his kids, and his ability to sleep, and his ability to get all the other stuff done so that he could actually have a Sabbath day. And he shared this with us in discipleship group one week, and so we began to pray with him and for him that God would do a work in him and give him the faith that was necessary to trust that God would provide for him and his family. And so he closed his shop on Saturdays. And God has been providing for him and his family ever since. And not only that, I've seen in him this new trust and dependence on the Lord that's stronger than it has ever been in his life before. And you know what? Only one customer stopped coming. And that client, she rearranged her life so that a month later she came back and did business with him on weekdays. We trust that God is our provider. But I know that for some of you, there's just no option. For some of you, you don't have the option to take a day off, either due to the demands of work or the, or the kind of boss you have or, or whatever. And to you, I would, I would just say that God's grace abounds. And you should not allow yourself to feel condemned by matters that are not within your own control. It makes me think of the Israelites when they were in Egypt. They were working seven days a week, 365 days a year, and they cried out to God about it. And so I would pray for you that God would provide for you the means to have a meaningful Sabbath. But how exactly do we Sabbath well? How do we honor the Sabbath? What does a day of Sabbath look like? Well, the Pharisees of Jesus' day tried to answer this question, and they wound up with something like 1,500 different rules on how to lawfully keep the Sabbath. And frankly, that's just ridiculous. But I think that we need to keep in mind that we have that same tendency. 
we have that tendency to be legalistic about these kinds of things. So I think we have to just look at Scripture and see what it says. And, and I think in Scripture we really only see three hard and fast rules about what a day of Sabbath should look like. And let's go through them quickly. First, it should be a day of rest. God made that clear. We work for six days, we rest for one. Now, I think it's easy for us to take that too literally. One of those rules the Pharisees had was this, this rule, like if a pile of rubble collapsed on top of a man, the only amount of work you were allowed to do was just enough to be able to assess and treat his life-threatening condition. But he was going to have to wait until tomorrow to get completely uncovered. I think that Jesus had kind of a better understanding of the heart behind the Sabbath rule. Maybe Jesus was a little more compassionate. From his interaction with the legalists of his day, we, we find that there are some kind of uh, exceptions to the rule of what kind of work should be permissible on the Sabbath. And the first of that is kind of the, this idea of uh, duties of necessity. If something needs to be done, it needs to be done. Jesus said, if your ox falls into a ditch, then it's okay to rescue it. And he allowed his disciples to pick uh, grain and, and fashion it into a meal simply because they were hungry. And Jesus also said that uh, duties of piety were okay. The priests who were doing God's work in the temple on the day of the Sabbath were not uh, breaking that commandment. And finally, Jesus demonstrated that acts of mercy are okay on the Sabbath. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And in Matthew 12, he, he, he just says it. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So, it should be a day of rest, but it should also be a day of worship. Now, the commandment tells us that we're to keep the day holy. And biblically speaking, when you keep something holy, that means you set it aside for the exclusive use of worshiping God. Leviticus 23.3 tells us that the Sabbath day is a holy convocation. That means it's a time when God's people come together corporately for worship. And Jesus, who is always the best example for us to follow. In Luke 4, Jesus tells us that it was his custom to go to worship services on the Sabbath day. It's clear in Scripture that worship is to be a part of this day and, and preferably corporate worship is an essential part of our Sabbath. And finally, the Sabbath day should be a day of delight. See, God, God, uh, God sent the prophet Isaiah to rebuke his people when they had not been properly honoring the Sabbath day. Uh, in Isaiah 58, uh, we see this. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to point out that what, he's, what God is saying the people need to do is they need to call the Sabbath a delight, and then you shall take delight in the Lord. And then he lists these blessings that they will receive. 
See, God makes it clear that he never intended for the Sabbath day to be dull or drudgery or boring. He didn't want it to be a chore, something that we just do because we're commanded to. He desires for us to delight in it, to call it a delight. And it is true, he says, look, I don't want you to just do whatever you want to do on that day. I don't want you to just do whatever pleases yourself. But he is saying that the experience should be delightful. We should look forward to it greatly. J.V. Fesco said it this way, with this understanding of the fourth commandment, we may then enter a universe of joy each Lord's Day rather than filling ourselves with our own pleasures on Sunday or endlessly laboring without ever knowing any rest, we choose to die to ourselves so we may receive a taste of heaven every Sunday. Ultimately, the Sabbath is about finding our rest in the work of Jesus Christ. And we know that all have sinned like Adam and Eve, and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that the penalty for that sin is spiritual death. And there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We can't work hard enough to save ourselves or reconcile ourselves with God. And before we knew Jesus, we were just constantly striving, trying to be good enough, trying to work hard enough to earn God's favor and failing time and time again. But here's the good news. Jesus lived that perfect life that we could never live. And He died. And He paid that penalty that we could never pay. And then He rose again from the dead, which proves that He is God. And if we believe in Him, then the Word tells us that we are also resurrected in Him and we are adopted as His brothers and sisters, as the children of God. And then we will live with Him forever in the new heaven and the new earth, which is what? It is that perfected culture that is the ultimate aim of God's divine work that He so graciously invites us into. And that, my friends, that's delightful. This is beautiful. This alone is worth the Sabbath day. Now, I know you guys are realizing that we're kind of out of time, and I, I know some of you, especially the rule followers, are kind of like, wait a minute, you haven't mentioned football yet. Am I allowed to watch football? Or can I go to a restaurant after church? Or is that causing a, a waitress to sin? Or uh, if my boss sends me an urgent email right now, what do I do? Do I, do I block him? Don't block him. <laughs> the, these, are, these are legitimate questions. And, and people have varying convictions about them. But guys, my job is to tell you what the Word tells us. And frankly, the Bible doesn't address these kinds of questions definitively. 
Some of these are, are just matters of personal conviction and Christian liberty. This is why Paul wrote about, wrote about it in Colossians 2, verse 16. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or regard to a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And in Romans 14, he talks about, uh, he's like, hey, let's not quarrel about our varying opinions about what the word says. But he says like, hey, if, if some of you have a strong conviction about something, the rest of you shouldn't put a stumbling block in front of them. You know, I've wrestled with some of these questions myself, and um, the, the way I process it, if it's helpful to you, I, I think that whenever Jesus encountered the Ten Commandments in his teaching, he always seemed to minimize kind of the letter of the law, but he maximized the heart behind the law. One example, he said, look, You've heard that we shouldn't murder people. And I think we go, yeah, we shouldn't do that. That's, that's one of the easy ones. I'm, I'm, I've never broken that commandment. But then Jesus says, no, if you have anger in your heart, you've broken that commandment. And so it, it kind of creates this stricter interpretation. And we realize that we desperately need Jesus to save us, which is a good thing. But when we're trying to figure out what we should or shouldn't do on the Sabbath, we need to get to the heart of the matter. I would consider asking yourself this question, does this activity promote or hinder my celebration of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because we find our rest in the work of Jesus Christ. And that really gets to the heart of the matter. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the Lord's day. We thank you for this idea of Sabbath and of times of rest and reflection on the work that you have done and are doing. And Lord, we thank you that when we take time to be with you and to submit to your rhythm of work and rest in our lives that you empower us to a greater degree to do that which you have called us. And so on this day, Lord, on this Lord's day, I pray that we would all be mindful of our relationship with you, that we desire to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. We pray that you will do this work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.